All right, well, I was somewhat surprised this week to learn that a Pew Forum poll taken within the last uh, four to five years showed that 74% of Americans believe in heaven. Uh, Actually, that part didn't surprise me so much. It was this next part that more surprised me. 59% of Americans uh, believe in hell. Uh, That was a bit higher than I would have guessed it uh, to be. Uh, A Gallup poll taken in 2004 uh, showed that at that time the numbers were 81% believing in heaven and 70% believing in hell. The Gallup poll, though, uh, looked a little under the surface uh, of those beliefs, and they, they asked people who believed in heaven and hell what they thought their chances were of going to one or the other. And I thought that their, the answers to this were pretty, pretty interesting and, and tell us quite a bit. Here's what they found. Of those who believed in heaven, 77% rated their chances of going there as good, and only 19% rated their chances as only fair or poor. And then of those who believed in hell, only 6% felt that they might need to be concerned about going there, while 79% said that it was extremely unlikely that hell was anything they needed to be worried about. And this convinces me of, uh, further convinces me of something that anecdotal evidence has suggested to me, and that is that no matter what Americans say they believe about the existence of hell, They don't really believe anybody goes there. Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody goes to hell is the consensus belief among Americans. I think there are a number of reasons why we tend to believe that everybody goes to heaven and nobody goes to hell. And this Gallup poll revealed uh, one of those reasons. It defined hell this way. Where people who led bad lives without being sorry go. And it defined heaven as where people who led good lives are eternally rewarded. And I think this is what most people think about this topic. Heaven is for good people. Hell is for bad people. And because of the curve that we grade on, we don't think anyone is really bad. We don't think anyone really goes to hell except the worst of the worst. The Hitlers, the Slobodan Milosevic's of the world, they go to hell, but everybody else is a pretty good person. I mean, think about in your own family. Everybody has a crazy uncle somewhere. And often our crazy uncles are fairly godless people. And yet, here's what we say about our crazy uncle. You know, he drinks all the time. He's a womanizer. He takes God's name in vain. He's never submitted to Christ in any way that anybody has ever seen. But you know what? Deep down, he really has a good heart. And so no matter the evidence to the contrary, we conclude that our crazy uncle is really a pretty good guy. So we put people into heaven and and allow them to avoid hell for being good. And if they aren't good, then we allow them into heaven and allow them to avoid hell by saying, well, deep down they're good. 
Nobody's ever seen evidence, but deep down, they're good. You know, you see this um, uh, happening all the time at funerals. Uh, No matter the evidence to the contrary, the deceased is always presented as now being at peace in the presence of the Lord. Now, please hear this next thing I'm going to say really well, or this is going to sound really awful of me. I do not believe that funerals are the correct time for brutal honesty, okay? (laughs) Funerals are a time to speak well of the deceased, at least as well as you can, and it is a time to comfort the family. But many of the assurances offered at funerals are based on false assumptions, and they are false assurances. Not all dead people go to heaven. Other reasons we don't believe anyone really goes to hell is because we have concluded that ultimately everyone will be saved. That everyone in the end ends up right with God. Our culture has largely concluded this. Uh, This was the basic thesis of the uh, book that gained a lot of attention a few years ago by former pastor Rob Bell that was called Love Wins. We don't believe anyone really goes to heaven because we are an increasingly sentimental people, willing to believe things that are illogical, things such as this, all roads lead to the same place. That doesn't work with anything, and yet somehow we convince ourselves it works with salvation. And I would say that, in fact, that is the underlying belief behind the assumption that everybody goes to heaven. All paths lead to the same place. So whether your path is being good, or whether your path is at least having a good heart, or whether your path is following the teachings of Muhammad, or your path is following the teachings of the Dalai Lama, in the end, all roads lead to the same place. Everybody goes to heaven. And you know, even among Bible-believing Christians, there is a tendency to create our own private theology when it comes to this issue of heaven and hell. Now, now most Christians who, who have some biblical literacy know that this notion that all roads lead to the same place is completely unbiblical. And so what they do is at some level, they continue to affirm the right view biblically. But then when push comes to shove, and it comes to the eternal destiny of people that we personally know, people that we love and and care about, we choose to create our own theology, we choose to believe what we want to believe, and so there is a disconnect. We, We continue to affirm what the Bible says publicly, while privately believing what we want to be true, what our feelings desire would be the case, which is why we rarely have any discomfort or any tension that takes place in our minds and our hearts when we see uh, one of those funeral assurances that may, in fact, be a false assurance. We make all kinds of assumptions about salvation. It's based on being good. It's based on having a good heart. All paths lead to the same place. The problem with this is that false assumptions about salvation can lead us to some very dangerous places. 
Your outline lists three. I'm actually going to briefly mention uh, four. First of all, false assumptions about salvation lead to false security. When we buy into this idea that good people go to heaven, when we buy into this idea that people who aren't good but somehow have a good heart go to heaven, when we buy into this idea that all roads lead to the same place, we allow ourselves to have a false sense of security regarding our own eternal destination, regarding the eternal destination of our family and friends, and the eternal destination of our co-workers and our acquaintances. And let me give you an example of just one of the ways that a false assumption leads to false security. Here it is, and this is something that is very common in the Christian church. It is this idea that if I will simply repeat the words of a prayer and raise my hand like the pastor asked me to, then I'm saved and ready to go to heaven. Now, I don't mean to mess up your, uh, your thinking here today. I don't mean to make you, uh, you, you know, real nervous with what I'm talking about. This at some level almost seems really wrong of me to, to have just said what I did. But here's what the case really is, friends. When someone says a prayer, they raise their hand, they come forward. The truth is they might have just gotten saved or they may not have just gotten saved. That's the truth. I have concluded after 12 years of being a pastor that we often have no idea what people are doing when they raise their hand and they repeat a prayer. They might be saying, I'll start to think more seriously about Jesus. Or they might have actually gotten saved. We don't really know for sure. And so we have to be very careful about offering assurances of salvation that we should not offer. That's why you will, I don't think, ever hear me lead people to an opportunity to receive Christ without saying something like this. Friends, these are not magic words that you're about to pray. If you say them and you don't mean them, nothing happens. But if you say them and they reflect what really is in your heart, the reality of your heart, then, and only then, Will you be saved? But the church has done a disservice to many people by, by saying that if you just say these words and raise your hand, you are saved. Uh, Mark Dever, a pastor from uh, Washington, D.C., has written fa fairly extensively on this topic, and, and uh, he, he talks very frequently about false conversions. And he says that false conversions are the suicide of the church. Basically, churches are filling up with people who prayed a sinner's prayer, raised their hands, believed that their ticket to heaven was punched, but in doing all of that, they never actually surrendered their heart to Jesus. You know, to a very large extent, it is not for any of us to say who is saved and who isn't? Because it is a matter of the heart. We see evidence. We see clues that give us uh, some possible insight into a person's heart. But sometimes things are not as they appear. 
The Bible lets us know that people, among people who look like followers of Jesus, who look like Christians, some are and some aren't. The Bible lets us know this. And sadly, I think there are a lot of people in churches who are convinced they are saved because they said a prayer, but their sense of security is false because all they did was repeat something that had no meaning in their heart. False assumptions about salvation create a very dangerous false sense of security. It's dangerous because we think we're okay, and so we don't recognize any need in our life. And yet we're in great need. Another danger, false assumptions about salvation, cause us to neglect evangelism. If you secretly have your own theology that says... I'll continue, and usually we don't even do this consciously, but I'll continue to affirm what the Bible says publicly, but really I think in the end everybody probably goes to heaven. You have no motivation whatsoever for evangelism. None. And while I never think it healthy for Christians to to believe that the the weight of the uh, evangelization of the world rests on them, It's a very unhealthy place to live, and it doesn't rest on any one of us. It is also unhealthy to fail to accept the responsibility we have to bear witness to the gospel with people who are lost without Christ and facing an eternity apart from him. If we make false assumptions about salvation, here's what we end up doing. We end up abandoning people in the frightening condition of being separated from God. Here's one that's not on your outline, but when we embrace these wrong ideas about salvation, the authority of Scripture is subverted in our hearts and minds. And we get on a very slippery slope of picking and choosing what we accept from the Bible and what we don't. We accept the Bible only to the extent that it agrees with what we already thought. And then when it no longer agrees with us, then we dismiss the Bible. Friends, the only acceptable posture for a Christian toward the Bible is one of submission. Submission. When what I think comes into conflict with what the Bible says, I have to align my thinking with the Bible, not the other way around. This is something that a Christian must do because the Bible is God's Word. And you know, there are a number of Christians in recent times who are trying to drive a wedge between God and the Bible. And here's what you need to know. The Bible is not something separate from or additional to God. It is the very Word of God. And so... When we come into conflict with it, it is our role only to yield to it. Here's the fourth danger that comes with making false assumptions about salvation. Obedience is wrongly viewed as being optional for a Christian. This is a tremendous problem in the church. Let's be honest, for most of us at some point, maybe a lot of points, this is a problem for us 
for me. We have bought into this idea that salvation has nothing to do with obedience to Christ. Now hear this next thing very clearly. It is certainly true that we do not earn salvation through obedience. So don't hear anything I say from this point on to to contradict that. It does not. We do not earn salvation through obedience. But it is not true that salvation and obedience have no connection with one another. Absolutely not true. The Bible teaches, as we're going to look at here in a few minutes, and this is a sobering thought for many of us. The Bible teaches that saved people obey Jesus. Wow. (laughs) That's a heavy truth, my friend. Saved people obey Jesus. We almost always use the word salvation in a way that's really very incomplete. Um, what, What we commonly mean when we talk about salvation or being saved is that we are ready to meet Christ. We're ready for heaven. Now, that's what we generally mean in our, in our everyday use of the word salvation. It does mean that, but it means a lot more than that. Uh, I would say that a, a biblically complete understanding of salvation would include at least three things. Uh, one would be justification, being placed in right standing with God through Christ. Uh, the, the second would be sanctification, Submitting our lives to Christ, becoming more like Him, growing in obedience to Him. And then the third would be glorification. That, that point when this present age passes away, the, the age to come is upon us. Christ's uh, rule and reign is here in its fullness, what we would uh, call heaven. And what we often do is we connect salvation with justification and heaven, and we neglect that sanctification is a part of salvation. People falsely assume that obedience is completely optional, but the Bible does not present it that way. We don't merit salvation through obedience, but it is not the same as saying that obedience is optional. And so these are the dangers of false assumptions about salvation. They lead us to false assurances that everyone goes to heaven. They lead us to conclude that evangelism isn't important, that we can be faithful Christians even while making up our own theology, and that obedience to Christ is a completely optional thing. So as with anything for a Christian, we have to test our assumptions against the truth of Scripture and then submit our thinking to what the Bible actually says on the topic. And what the Bible actually says about salvation exposes that the commonly held assumptions of our culture are completely false. And when we find our assumptions to be false, we're forced to confront this reality. Our assurances are false. Here's how the Bible weighs in on some of these assumptions that we've been talking about here today. First of all, the Bible is very clear. This just sounds so, so mean in, in the, the, the climate that we are in. But friends, this is the Bible. Everybody does not go to heaven. 
The Bible exposes the assumption that everybody goes to heaven as being false. Which means that a lot of the security that people feel, a lot of the assurances that people have about their eternal destination is also false. Matthew 10, 28, here is what Jesus himself said. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus. He taught about hell. He warned against hell. He taught that some people would not go to heaven but would go to hell. From Jesus himself, we learn that not everybody goes to heaven. That belief, that assumption is false. And the the security that that assumption provides is a false security. Here is something we have to, to believe as Christians. Dead people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul writes this of Jesus. You are going to have a hard time finding this verse quoted uh, in, in many of our churches today, which is a sad, sad thing. But here's, here's what the Apostle Paul writes of Jesus. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction And shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This passage walks all over our modern notions of Jesus as always affirming us, always telling us we're good, always assuring us that all paths lead to heaven. It's not what Jesus does. No, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. The punishment is everlasting destruction, being shut out from the presence of God, the presence of God being reserved for those who have believed on him. Not everybody, not any belief, those who have believed the gospel, those who have believed in Christ, Again, we see directly from the Bible, it is not dead people that go to heaven. It is saved people who go to heaven. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. Remains. Doesn't come on, it remains Wrath is the default position for human beings. Eternal life isn't for everyone. It is for those who believe in the Son. Those who reject Christ don't go to heaven. They will not see life because God's wrath remains on them. People do not believe the Bible says things like this. But it does. Very clearly. And repeatedly. People don't believe the Bible says things like this because though we live in a very scientifically and technologically advanced time when, when everybody would suggest that the way they come to their conclusions uh, is that they look at all the facts, 
they assess all the arguments, and then they come to a reasoned decision. When in fact, the way most of us make decisions about most things is whatever feels right to us. While everybody doesn't go to heaven, eternal life is available, salvation is available in Jesus Christ. But we have to say even more than what I just did if we want to fully represent the Bible's testimony. Here's what we have to say. Salvation is available only in Jesus Christ. It's not just that salvation is available in Christ. It's available only in Christ. And this is from Jesus himself. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another one of those famous all roads lead to the same place sayings of Jesus. That was sarcasm. He makes it very clear that all roads don't lead to God, but that he is the only way to God. No one gets to God apart from Jesus, without Jesus. Our culture says the exact opposite. And many in our culture, and let's be honest, probably a certain number of us here today, recoil in horror at the suggestion that Jesus taught anything different than the commonly held assumptions of our culture. But again, this just reveals the sentimentality of our times. We we don't come to conclusions through honest assessment and objective research. We come to conclusions based on our feelings, what we want to be true. And so what we do is we create a God in our own image. He does what we would do. But regardless of what the culture claims, the truth is that Jesus taught, he taught himself that apart from him, there is no road that leads to God. And he did this repeatedly. Here's another one. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Again, Jesus teaches, he's on record, saying the exact opposite of the assumptions of the culture. Many, rather than going to heaven when they die, go to destruction. Few take the road to life. Everybody does not go to heaven. Those who do don't get there through a variety of roads. They get there through the the small gate, the narrow road, which is Jesus Christ. John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is those who believe on the Son that receive eternal life. Salvation is available to all. But it's found only in Christ, only received by those who believe in Christ. John 20, 31. 
tells us that it is by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that people find life in his name. Again, it's not everybody goes to heaven, but it is those who, have, uh, those who find salvation are those who found it only in Christ, by believing in Jesus. Acts 4.12, Peter boldly proclaims what he had received from Christ. And here it is. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. None of the assumptions held by our culture change the fact that salvation is found only in Christ. All assumptions to the contrary are false assumptions. And all assurances based on those assumptions are false assurances. It's when we embrace what Scripture actually and clearly teaches that our false assumptions and false assurances are exposed. The priority of evangelism can be recovered and Scripture is affirmed in our lives rather than subverted. And it's when we embrace what Scripture actually and clearly teaches that we are forced to reject the assumption that obedience is optional to salvation And instead affirm what is actually true, that saved people obey Jesus. 1 John 2, 1 through 6, here's how it reads. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know, listen carefully, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. All right, you thought that was harsh enough. Let's go further. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Wow. You want to know if you're in him. This is how you know. Whoever claims to live in him must walk As Jesus did. This is a great passage. Challenging. It's very thorough in its explanation. Let's just briefly look at this. John says that he writes this so that we will not sin. But then he is very quick to acknowledge that when we do sin, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, speaks to the Father in our defense. This acknowledges the fact that there has never been a perfect Christian. That there has only been one sinless person ever. It acknowledges that Christians do sin. And when we fall short, God, uh, Christ speaks to God for us. He covers us. His righteousness covers us. But then John states very clearly a truth that we have to wrestle with, even though it's extremely sobering. He says that we know that we know God if 
we obey his commandments. He says that if we say we know him, but we don't keep his commandments, we are liars and the truth isn't in us. He completely shreds the false assumption that obedience has no connection to salvation. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Friends, obedience to Christ is not an optional extra. It is part and parcel of salvation rightly understood. I'll just give you a minute to absorb it. When we take this together with all that the Bible says, here's kind of where I think we land. Here's kind of what I think we come up with. Christians are going to sin. Christians are going to struggle with sin. We are going to fail. Christ came because none of us could, could live up to what God expected. But... The notion of a Christian setting up camp and permanently living in the land of disobedience is something that is completely unfamiliar to the writers of the New Testament. And it is something that Christians don't do. So if you're a person who once prayed the sinner's prayer... But now you find yourself in, uh, living in continual disobedience to God. You have got to honestly wrestle with what the implications of that disobedience may be. What does that mean? And there are no easy lines to be drawn on when sin crosses over into living in the land of disobedience. But I think we have some clues as to when that happens. I think a clue as to when that happens is whether or not there is a struggle with sin. I happen to think that a Christian can have a, a struggle with a particular sin or particular sins. There may be a what you might call a besetting sin that you find particularly difficult to overcome. But you know you're struggling with it. You're fighting against it when you never view it as acceptable. You, you never tell yourself it's okay. You never let yourself off the hook by saying that God approves of it, which is the place that we live today, you know. It used to be people would sin and at least they knew and they acknowledged, yeah, that's wrong. Now what people do is they sin and if they can't overcome the sin, they just say that God approves of the sin. I actually believe it's the one thing that's worse than hypocrisy is when you get to the place that you actually call evil good. And that's the place that we, we uh, largely live today. But the person who's wrestling with sin, who's fighting, who's combating, who's maybe failing but getting back up, they never get to the place where they say God approves of their sin. They, they fail, but, but then they repent and they fight again. They're, they're never comfortable and they're always praying and they're always reaching out and they're always trying to hold themselves accountable by, by making themselves accountable to other people saying, help me in this fight. You may struggle with sin, but if you're honestly fighting, you may not have yet set up camp in the land of disobedience. 
But I think we have to be very concerned that we have set up camp in the land of disobedience when we sin and it is really easy to do so. When we sin and we feel absolutely no conviction for having done it. And especially when we get to that place of convincing ourselves that God is okay with what we're doing. If you're in that place, you have to wrestle with this question. Am I truly saved? Or have I just thought I was saved? Because of an assumption that is false. Because this sobering truth, straight from the Bible, is that saved people obey Christ. I'd like to report something else to you. (laughs) I would be happy. I would be happy if that assumption that salvation has no connection to obedience were true. That, That would suit me just fine. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible reveals our assumptions about salvation to be false, based on nothing more than sentimentality and wishful thinking. And if we hold on to these false assumptions, great damage is done. People are left in their condition of being separated from God. We neglect our responsibility to bear witness to those who are far from God. And some people believe they are saved when in reality all they did was repeated some words that were absolutely powerless because they were spoken without any connection to the reality of their heart. And if we don't want the destruction that false assurances bring, then we have to be willing to do some things. We have to be willing to identify, acknowledge, and reject wrong ideas. We have to reject our wrong assumptions. We have to reject the assumptions that are embraced by our culture. And we have to choose to believe instead what the Bible actually says. Not what the culture says it says, but what it actually says. And so if you've found yourself anywhere within this message, and you're willing to admit that you've held some assumptions that are false, and that if that's true, then you might have had some assurances that are false, then you need to begin today to approach the Bible the only way that it is rightly approached, with a truly open heart that honestly desires the truth. Get rid of your cultural lens. Get rid of your preconceived notions and approach the Bible with an open heart. Ask God as you approach the Bible to reveal the truth to you. Ask God for the grace when the Bible says something that that you find off-putting. Ask God for the grace to yield, to submit, to believe. You know, the Bible can be made to say a lot of things it doesn't say when it is approached dishonestly. But when it is approached honestly, it reveals to us the truth. So pray, ask God to give you an open heart. Ask him to reveal his truth to you and search the scriptures that way. Don't assume anything. Search with an open heart, an open mind. You say, Brian, all this talk you've done today, I'm concerned that maybe I wasn't even saved those years ago that I repeated the sinner's prayer. The evidence in my life, the lack of any improvement in being obedient to Christ just doesn't bear witness that I've been saved. What should I do? 
You should be truly converted. That's what you should do. Embrace the fact that salvation is not a matter of saying certain words. It is a matter of at the level of your heart, truly choosing to surrender to Jesus. Know the truth. And rather than relying on magic words, trust in Jesus himself, which can only be done with a sincere heart. You have to see yourself rightly. You have to see yourself as a sinner. You have to see yourself in need. You have to say, God, I recognize my need of you. And you have to turn in faith. You can break free from false assurance by accepting the test of obedience and honestly evaluating, is there sufficient evidence to support that you belong to Jesus? And we can break free from neglecting evangelism by praying for a passion for the truth, by believing the truth, praying for a passion for the lost. The fact of the matter is, friends, that everybody doesn't go to heaven. It is a wrong idea that needs to be rejected because of the false security that it gives. The false security keeping people from Jesus. It needs to be rejected because evangelism is neglected. It needs to be rejected because it subverts scripture. It needs to be rejected because it convinces us that salvation and obedience are not connected when they are. So my appeal to all of us today is that God would use what we have seen in his word today and that the Holy Spirit would empower the word in each of our lives so that every single one of us here would be able to reject the wrong ideas that we have bought into. That we would be able to believe the truth. That if we need to, we would have the, the, the grace, uh, that God would grant us the grace to get right with God and And that he would grant us the the passion and the empowerment to help others get right with God. My prayer is that we would begin to submit to the authority of the Bible. And that we would take obedience to God seriously. Why don't you stand?